0: These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter what we see no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No ma- matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. This is the word of the Lord.
1: how the Bible's dark. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn in them to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you want, uh, Bryn did a great job. She read from uh, the Immerse um, in the booklet. If you didn't get a booklet, feel free to grab one. Um, and we are basically just on the first section right up to the little plus sign. Um, that is our passage for today. Um, it might have looked a little bit different. Um, that's the New Living Translation. I, I love its readability. Um, like as she's reading it, um, it just it feels like it connects often more than some of the other versions do. Um, but if you want to have that open, we're going to we're going to walk through this. Uh, a couple things, really quick. One, um, it feels really good to get back into like a passage of scripture. Um, I love, I, I love what we did with uh, with politics, kingdom ethics. I think um, uh, Rob and Bobby and Derek Kelsey did an awesome job with those. Um, I felt bad. I ended up. Um, I was I was supposed to do the one that Rob did, um, and Chas and I had the opportunity to get out of town, and so Rob filled in for me. And I thought it was. I thought it was. Awe. I went back and listened to it. I really thought it was great. Um, but it's always easier to just take a passage and dig into it, like learn everything about it, and then, and then bring it. Um, so we're going to do that today. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes 1 through 11. Um, and I was, I was trying to find, uh, you know, my kids always like these pop culture references, right? I'm trying to find like some cultural artifacts that reflect some of the spirit of what we're talking about or that, that communicate this in, such, in, in the same way. And one thing that came to mind, my kids liked this... Um, YouTube channel called Odd Ones Out, um, and Odd Ones Out. It's it's just like an animation thing. It's it's really funny. Um, and he, the guy who did Odd Ones Out, made a song together with um, who is a boy in a band. Um, and and basically, you have if uh, if you would go to the next slide for me, um, it's called Life Is Fun. Okay, so you've got the. I'm, I'm gonna. I don't know what his name is. The guy on the left, James. Do you know who the guy on the right is, or it's just? David, James, James is on the left. You see how he's so happy, right? Um, David's on the right, and he he does not look happy. Okay, so um, to me, these guys in this song set up um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes really well because um, James comes out like super happy. Ah, such a beautiful day, the sun's shining in a beautiful way. Gonna take a shower, brush my teeth, and. And then David comes in and he says, life is ultimately meaningless. And the whole song, they're going back and forth. Uh, I'll get out of the house, get on the road, top down, hands out, hands out, put on my favorite song and nod to the rhythm. The planet's being destroyed by your carbon emissions. Um, and it just goes on, it's, it's hilarious. Um, I'll head to class, try my best on every test till I pass and my grades are screaming in my face, hey. 98% of what you learn is a waste. <laughs> And it gets like it gets progressively darker. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read all of it. Some of it might actually be triggering to some people. Um, but like no matter what happens, I can find a home. We will all die alone. Um, and. And it's just this really interesting juxtaposition where honestly, I think maybe the guy who um, does Odd Ones Out was actually reading through Ecclesiastes when he wrote this, Um, because some of these themes like, you will die alone, no one's going to remember you, Um, life is ultimately meaningless, like that's exactly what Ecclesiastes starts with, right? Um, And and the whole song actually is is Ecclesiastes encapsulated, because he gets to the end, um, and and he says, um, I don't have to live life based on negative parts. No matter how bad they are, they're just thoughts. And the, the David, the dark guy, comes along. He's like, yeah, that seems, that, that's fair. That's reasonable. Okay, just, just go out and live your life. Make the most of it. Have, have some fun with your friends. Um, and the chorus is just life is, uh, we are young. Life is fun. We got to make the most of it. Make the most of it. And that's kind of how Ecclesiastes, like as you work through Ecclesiastes, there's, there's those themes of, yeah, it's all meaningless, but, you know, in, enjoy, enjoy your food and enjoy your family, enjoy your work and, and find, you know, find rest under the sun. Um, and so when we, when we come to this passage, um, it has this darkness to it. Um, we're going to sit in the darkness for a little bit, but um, hopefully we'll, um, we'll step out of the darkness uh, towards the end. When we talk about this idea of meaninglessness, one, one other, I guess this isn't necessarily a pop culture um, reference, but there's an ancient Greek myth um, of uh, uh, Sisyphus, right? Anybody know the, the myth of Sisyphus? um, What's the story of of Sisyphus, right? He's this this ancient king. I know my kids, my twins have signed up for Greek mythology next semester, right? So you'll probably learn um, this story. He's this ancient king who was cunning and also really terrible, um, and he tricked Zeus, and so he was condemned um, to the afterlife. Um, He would have to take this big boulder, and every day he would roll it up to the top, and this was his mission, to get the boulder from the bottom to the top of the hill. um, And Zeus set it up so that as soon as he got just almost to crest the top of the hill, the the boulder would roll back down. And he was cursed to an eternity of just rolling the the boulder up the hill and then it'll roll down. So every day he goes and he, he, uh, he tries to accomplish this futile task that he's never going to succeed in. If you ever have one of those tasks that feels futile, that feels like I'm never going to get anywhere, we call those Sisyphean tasks, right? Because it's, it's Sisyphus. Um, when, we, when we step back and we look at a uh, worldview kind of like from uh, Ecclesiastes 1, when we look at things under the sun and we take out the idea of God, all of a sudden everything becomes Sisyphean. Everything is meaningless and futile, and the honest atheists, the honest philosophers, will actually confirm this. Um, uh, Camus, uh, uh, one of the French philosophers, um, one of the existentialists, um, he has this whole treatise where he says you have to imagine, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Like, our lives are meaningless, and so we have to create our own meaning. But everything we do is futile, so we have to imagine that in the middle of all these futile tasks, we can somehow achieve happiness. We have to imagine, one must imagine Sisyphus as happy, even though it's meaningless. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre uh, talks about, we are condemned to be free. We have this freedom, since everything is meaningless then you have this radical freedom, and that sounds great, right? We've, we've loosed the bonds of tyranny. We have no, no religion, no rules, nobody ruling over us, no, no um, ob- objectivity, no morals. Um, and Sartre comes to the conclusion that we are condemned to be free, that this kind of radical freedom is actually a curse um, because nothing actually matters. Like, I am, I am uh, condemned to create my own meaning in the world. Um, and I was watching a show where, the, where one of the characters was thinking about this. He's like, I have to create my own meaning? I can't even be trusted to make my own breakfast. And I'm supposed to create purpose out of my life and create meaning in the middle of meaninglessness. And so these philosophers, they come to the... Um, uh, they come to Ecclesiastes, and they walk away from this passage saying, yes, everything is meaningless. Um, nothing matters. So let's jump into the passage. Let's dig, uh, dig into it um, and see exactly what's going on. So it starts out um, with this superscription, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. This kind of superscription where it starts out with um, you know the um, it's, it's attributing the words to someone. It's pretty common, like Proverbs 1.1 1, 1 starts out with the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Isaiah, if you remember, which starts out with uh, the, wor, uh, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah. Um, Jeremiah starts out with the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, um, and on and on. So this type of superscription is actually uh, pretty normal here in the Old Testament. And he says, the words of, and depending on what um, translation you're looking at, it, it might say something different, right? If you're looking at the immerse version in your little book here, um, it says, these are the words of the teacher. Um, in the ESV here, it talks about the words of the preacher. Um, if you read the message, um, uh, Eugene Peterson wasn't sure how to translate this word, uh, but the idea is it's a person who's on a quest for meaning, and he's delivering the results of his quest. So Eugene Peterson, the message just translated as the quester, which sounds really weird. Um, but if you read Ecclesiastes in the message, is the words of the quester. Um, the idea is like Ecclesiastes, if you take the root word, um, the root of it is ekklesia, which if, if you're familiar with, with Greek, you know it's, it's the assembly. A lot of times it's the word that we use to refer to, to the church. I know some churches in the Soma network who are called ekklesia, like ekklesia church, um, which is kind of one of those redundant things like ATM machine or whatever, you know. Um, it's, it's the assembly, and so this person, um, the, the word in the Hebrew is actually kohelet. Kohelet is calling together the assembly to address them about his quest for meaning, all right? Um, so kohelet is calling together the assembly, um, and different translations will call him the preacher um, because he's kind of preaching, or the teacher because he's, he's telling people what he's learned. The quester, he's, he's explaining the results of his quest. Um, uh, I think it's uh, Trumper Longman um, and Peter ends in their, in their commentaries. They're like, we, should, we should probably shouldn't just translate it. We, we should just call it Kohelet and leave it there um, and let it be like a nickname for this person who's talking because none of these words preacher, teacher, quester um, really get at exactly what this is. It's like a name. It doesn't exist anywhere else. Um, but Kohelet is the teacher. Now, last week we talked about how um, Ecclesiastes is a, um, a framed narrative autobiography. Um, there's an author who is going to introduce and conclude. And then there's uh, the Kohelet, which is going to be the bulk of Ecclesiastes. So there's somebody that's going to introduce it and say, here's the words of Kohelet, they're going to give the words of Kohelet, and then the author is going to come back and wrap up and say, In conclusion, here's what we learned from Kohelet. okay? So, right here, the author is saying, Here's the words of Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Um, we, don't, we don't actually know who Kohelet is. If you read that, you read um, you know, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, it sounds like Kohelet is Solomon right? Um, Solomon who wrote Proverbs, Solomon who is incredibly wise. And if you remember the story of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And it seems like, I, I, I don't know if this is necessarily the case, it feels like the wisdom of Solomon was, was kind of limited to running the kingdom. Like he expanded the kingdom and gave it the most prosperity. But in his personal life, it feels like he was kind of an idiot okay? Um, he had hundreds of wives and concubines. Um, he, he was spiritually immoral, even though he, um, he built the temple. Um, and he got to the end of his life, and there's kind of an apostasy towards the end of his life. And so some people think that this is Solomon getting to the end and then looking back on all of this and saying all of it was meaningless, and he has this kind of experience where, where he turns back to God. Um, other people, and honestly, like of the of the four commentaries I had, uh, or three commentaries, they're they're split on this. Um, one of them um, believes that it's it is actually Solomon that's talking. Um, the other ones say this is somebody who's adopting a Solomon-like persona. Okay, so um, it would be like if I wanted to write a, a novel and pretend to be a really smart person, I might call myself Einstein right? Um, where this, this author, kohelet, um, is taking on a Solomon-like persona. And Bob, you can go to that. We don't have to look at the odd ones out picture the whole time. <laughs> and what we're going to see as he goes through this is we are going to wrestle to find hope in the meaninglessness of life. So kohelet is going to wrestle to find hope in the meaningless, uh, meaninglessness of life. So uh, Tremper Longman says Koholet's not Solomon, but he does adopt a Solomonic persona to explore avenues of meaning in the world. He's going to pretend to be a Solomon-like figure um, who, who um, is the wisest and richest and, and most experienced guy in the world to be able to communicate this. Zach Eswine thinks it was actually Solomon um, and he has this quote from Packer that whether this means that Solomon himself was a preacher or that the preacher put his sermon into Solomon's mouth as a didactic device need not concern us. The sermon is certainly Solomonic in the sense that it teaches lessons which Solomon had unique opportunities to learn. All right, so who Kohelet is, um, I'm not going to take a definitive position on this. I don't know who Kohelet is, um, but it's a person like Solomon. It's a Solomon-like persona who had wisdom and riches and power um, and found all of them to be meaningless, okay? So, the author here is compiling the words of Kohelet. That's verse one. Verse two um, again, there's some, there's some differentiation. Zach Eswine thinks that the words of Koholet start right here. Um, Tremper Longman, Peter ends. Think that this is still the author who is going to give us a summary of Kohelet's teaching. All right. So if you've ever taken like a speech class or had to write an essay or something like that, you have your introductory paragraph where um, you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you just told them. You have the intro, the body, and the conclusion. Um, so they view this as the author Summarizing kohelet's whole message over Ecclesiastes, so here is kind of the summary of the whole book of everything that kohelet's going to say. What does he say? It says, "Vanity of vanities." Last week we talked about that word, vanity um, or meaninglessness. It's the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel of hevel, everything is hevel. Um, if you if you're familiar with like the construction of this, um, if you under if you've read through the Bible, you've seen this kind of construction like holy of holies or um, heaven of heavens. Jesus was the servant of servants. Anytime you use that blank of blank um, kind of construction, you're, you're emphasizing a superlative. Um, hevel of Hevel, everything is Hevel. Everything is utterly, completely, absolutely meaningless. That's what it's trying to get across here. Um, we talked about Hevel is, is the idea of breath or or smoke or vapor that you see it but when you try to grasp it it's elusive you can't hold on to it and it disappears quickly it's not just like vanity we we tend to have other things that come to our mind when we think of vanity meaninglessness is getting at it but it's more like man it's it's just absurdity you you try to grab it and and you can't grasp on to it Every translation, uh, or most of the translations translated differently. Um, The ESV, the NASB, the KJV say vanity of vanities. NLT, we saw what Bryn read, is everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Um, The message, uh, and here, the, uh, this, 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 this phrase is a metaphor, right? Um, it doesn't mean meaningfulness. It means smoke or vapor. Um, and so when we try to translate it, we, we end up doing away with the metaphor. Eugene Peterson in the message, he just says, smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all just smoke. And he leans into the metaphor of it. Vanity, vanities, all, says the preacher, all is vanity. What does man, in verse three, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils uh, under the sun? What's to be gained by all the drudgery of work? Um, you, you work and you toil, and what do you actually get out of it? Um, when he talks about this idea of under the sun, it's like we're limiting ourselves to, um, limiting the quest for meaning to creation. Um, we're ruling out anything that's not under the sun here. So when we do that, what do we find? We find that it's, it's meaningless. And he talks about your, your toil, your labor, all of this, it's, it's meaningless. What do you get for it? There's this idea that we lack control over our circumstances. Um, We lack control of the results of our circumstances. Um, In fact, I don't even know exactly in my life what is going to be meaningful. Um, I I, I read a quote last week that um, the problem, the thing is that everything is meaningless um, and the thing is that it's all so incredibly meaningful, right? And, and, And we just don't know what's what. I don't know what, what is going to be really meaningful in my life or not. Uh, when I was two years old, I had, I had surgery. I had like a valve by my kidney. It's supposed to be a one-way valve, and it was doing a two-way valve, and that's really bad. Um, and so it was causing seizures and stuff like that. And so I went to Children's Hospital, um, and, um, and they were going to do sir, I've got, I've got a scar, like, right here. Uh, my wife always makes fun of me, because when I wear shorts to bed, like, I, I hike them up, because sitting on the scar is uncomfortable. So I, I like, she calls me the old man. Um, but I went, I, went to, I went to the hospital, and... Um, uh, it was, it was one of those things that um, we didn't know that this was going to be a meaningful situation outside of the fact that it's like invasive surgery. Um, but I ended up, they put me in a room with this kid who had a failing kidney. Um, and his name, some of you know him, um, his name is Daniel Scott. And his dad, Al Scott, was a teacher at a local Christian school that was not far from where my family lived. Um, my sister was four at the time and my parents were trying to figure out what they wanted to do um, for kindergarten. And so here we are stuck together um, with this other family who work at a Christian school. Um, and they convinced my dad and my, my mom um, to send their kids to this Christian. school. So I ended up going to Silver State Christian School from kindergarten through, through 12th grade. Um, a lot of you here, there are several of you here um, that are here because of that, too. Like we went, like me and Bobby we, and Val, we went to the same high school. Um, Bob worked there. Um, Hellwigs, Caitlin, um, Slocums um, were all uh, students there. Um, it's because I went to Silver State that I went to, oh, Eric was, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave you out. <laughs> Eric was, was there. Because um, I went back and taught there, and that's how my li- like our lives intersected with Eric and Jess. Um, if I didn't go there, I probably never would have gone to the college that I ultimately went to, which means I never would have met Rob and Julie. Um, and like, like I, who, who could have guessed how meaningful this little surgery was going to be? It was a day or two in the hospital, and yet, like, to a certain extent, we're here. Begin the months. I left out the Monts. Um They were teachers. There. I was like, I was like a year away from having Sumont as a teacher. I wouldn't have met my wife. Like. I, like we met at college. How, how were we supposed to know? How were my parents supposed to know that this was, was going to be a life-altering situation for us? That it was going to direct the course? Like I am, I am here as a pastor partly because I had this weird valve that was working two-way instead of one-way we don't have a lot of control over our circumstances. Like all the work that you do, all the meaning you try to put into your life, you actually lack a lot of control over it. And sometimes that's really scary. Like we want to be the captains of our own destinies, right? And all of a sudden we're confronted with these little things. This little surgery is what actually impacted the course of my life all the work that, like, no, I'm, I'm not saying, like, it's meaningless, um, but it feels meaningless sometimes, right? We don't, we don't know. We lack control. We want that control. And here, the, the kohelet the preacher, the teacher is saying, what do you gain by all the toil at which you toil under the sun? You have no idea what, what meaning is being produced out of this. You have no control over it. He goes on, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. It's like, hey, generations come and generations go, but like compared to geologic age, um, it's nothing. You're, you're, you're going to be forgotten. Like we, we, ha- we get to enjoy these mountains here. These mountains barely notice us, right? We've got all these tunnels and ski resorts, but ultimately you drive through there and there's so much of it that is still pretty untouched. If you look at it, you, like just standing here looking at it, you can't tell that man has been there. Generation comes, generation goes, right? Um, you're like, the things that are important to you are going to be forgotten too, um, so, for example, kids, I, I'm going to need your your help with this too. Okay, um, the things that were important to us, uh, our kids don't remember them. Like, um, like let's 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 do a little generational quiz here. Okay, so um, can anybody tell me who wrote the song "Johnny Be Good"? Johnny, B. raise your hand if you think you can tell me who wrote the song "Johnny Be Good." Few, who who was it? Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox yes. <laughs> Because Chuck Berry listened in, and that's where he got it from, yeah. Eric knows. Who was it? It's Chuck Berry. Have you guys ever heard of Chuck Berry? You guys don't know Chuck Berry. Okay, Lecrae rapped about him. He said, Chuck Berry made it, but the credit went to Elvis. You remember that? Chuck Berry is like one of the fathers of modern rock and roll, and Elvis gets all the credit for it. But these guys have no idea who Chuck Berry is. Um, Who was famous for singing at Folsom Prison? Anybody? Do you know? Anybody know? Cash. He heard Cash. They've never heard... They don't know Johnny Cash. You know Johnny Cash. Because I played Johnny Cash for them. Can you name a song? Anybody think they can name a song? Raise your hand. Don't shout it out so the kids don't don't steal it. um, By Brian Adams. (laughs) Brian Adams. What's the what's song by Brian Adams? Everything I, Everything I Do. Yes, like, like the, the theme song to uh, Robin Hood. You remember that? Yeah. Everything I Do. You guys have never heard of Brian Adams? No. Can you name a Beach Boys song? Anybody think they can name a Beach Boys song? Rachel, give me a Beach Boys. What's that? Sloop John B. Yes. I grew up on the Beach Boys. I've tried to play the Beach Boys for them, and they haven't shown a lot of interest Surfing USA, yes. I could go on and on, like Barbara Ann and Kokomo, and, like, there's, there's so, like, they don't remember. All right, let's, let's give you guys a chance here. Can you, how, okay, um, can you name a song, just raise your hand, don't shout it out, by Post Malone? <laughs> a few adults, mostly kids. What's the song by? Sunflower, yes, from uh, the Spider-Verse, right? What's another one? Circles, good. How about, um, see how many adults can do this. Can you name an artist whose name starts with little? Lil, like the, like the abbreviation. Lil Wayne. Lil Teca. Lil That's I didn't actually know what that would. Lil Pump. Right? Lil Nas X. Can you name a song, raise your hand, by Billie Eilish? Like barely any adults. Bad guy. Bad guy. Yes. Ocean eyes. Ocean eyes. Everything I want. Right? Okay. The things that were like, I grew up with like the Beach Boys and Chicago. And we kind of went, went through this weird phase where we were really conservative with music and we like threw all our CDs away. Um, and then we, do you remember that? We, then We kind of got it back out. Turned out my parents didn't throw them away. <laughs> they just hid them. But like, I played a Chicago song for my kids the other day um, and, um, and they're like, what is this? What in the world? Um, and then, uh, um, like Beach Boys, they, they have no idea. Like, I grew up with the beach. I remember going to summer camp and thinking the counselor was so cool because he could play Wipeout on his guitar. Um, like, generations come and go. Like, they're playing the songs I grew up with on the oldie station now, Right? And eventually, they're going to kind of be relegated to a history book. And a couple of them will remain um, and still be listened to. But, but most of it, um, a couple more generations, they're going to be forgotten. Like, how many of you can name your, your great-grandparents? Anybody think they could name their great-grandparents? I don't remember my maternal grandmother's name because I only met her once. Right? I don't know my great-grandparents, and I couldn't go any farther past that right? Can you name your great-grandma? Virginia, Virginia, yeah. Agnes, Agnes right? They had one great-grandparent left, and, um, and, and that's about it. And, and, and then it's, it's forgotten. After this generation, um, none of them will remember um, Ben and Agnes Gomez, right? Um, and, and there's, there's something that's, that's hard about that. Generations go, generations come, and the mountains are still there, And the wind still blows in and blows out, and the streams run to the ocean, and it never fills up. We go and we come. Nothing changes. We get to the end of the passage, um, and he says... all things are full of weariness. A man can't utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before. Like you, you think you found something new? Guess what? Um, It's not going to solve any of your problems. Like, I, uh, I, don't, I don't have my phone. My phone's back there recording this. Um, I've got in my pocket a device that can give me all of the world's information no matter where I am, um, and it will also record my sermon, right? Um, this is an amazing device. Um, but, like, we still have uh, poverty. People are still um, dying of hunger. Um, I still struggle to love my neighbor. My phone hasn't solved that problem for me. Right. We have social networks um, and these new things that are meant to connect everybody. um, And what ends up happening? We are actually more lonely than we've ever been. There was an article about the, the failure of the nuclear family. Like we have the nuclear family and here's how families are supposed to work. And guess what? We screwed it up. That's not actually how families are supposed to work. Um, and it didn't fix any of the problems. All of these new things that we think we have, none of them are actually solving the, any of our problems. I still struggle to love my neighbor, despite all of the technological advances. Um, I still struggle to, um, to feed my children. All, all of these problems that go back to biblical times, Ecclesiastes is like, you might have something new, um, but your problems are still the same. Nothing's changed. You're still lonely. Um, you're still struggling. Um, you're still seeking after um, power and wealth and sex and and nothing has really changed. Nothing's new. Um, in injustice still happens. We watched the movie uh, Just Mercy last night, um, and which which is a fantastic. I would encourage Just Mercy to me. I, I don't know if he meant to do this. Um, but it's set up almost like a, a, a Psalm 73 setup. Um, Psalm 73, David is bemoaning the fact, like David is kind of turning into a uh, Kohelet here, where he's like, um, why do the wicked prosper? Um, this is unfair, like the world is unfair. It's not working like it's supposed to. What is going on? And then halfway through Psalm 73, um, it says, and then I went into the house of the Lord. Um, during the movie, Brian Stevenson is working to try to um, try to get Johnny D off death row um, and and they have this big trial, and all the evidence lo- it looks like it's going to go their way um, and then it doesn't and there's this deep despondence like one of the one of the like I read the book, but one of the values of the movie is you feel that emotional connection a lot more um, and you feel the despondence, the despair that this is unfair and unjust and nothing's going to change and and brian stevenson the character there um, is just broken and crying Um, and the next scene he goes to church um, to the black church with all of these, um, these black families that were part of the trial that were mourning and grieving. And he walks into church and they're all there clapping and singing and dancing and praising God. And there was this Psalm 73 moment for Brian Stevenson to say, and then I went to the house of the Lord, right? And he talked with Johnny D. And Johnny D tells him, um, if they kill me tomorrow, I'll go with with a smile on my face because I know the truth and they can't take that from me. And he tells them, it's going to be all right. Like that kind of settled confidence. See, when we approach um, this idea of meaninglessness, the counter to meaninglessness isn't to try to create our own meaning. It's not to try to convince people that there's meaning. It's to give people hope. Like, the hope that this isn't all there is. The hope that someday someone will come and clear away the heaven, clear away the smoke, clear away the meaninglessness. When we look through these worldly lenses, we look under the sun, the world has no meaning to it. And we, we struggle, like, um, in our outline, we talk about, like, what, um, what does the passage mean? The passage means, like, when we look through worldly lenses, the world has no meaning. In our normal outline, then we transition to why do we struggle to believe this? And the reality is we don't struggle to believe this at all. It's very easy to believe that the world has no meaning. It's very easy to, to say, listen, injustice, there's no, nothing's ever going to happen with injustice. I mean, we might make some progress, but, but we can't change people's hearts. There, you know, there's, there's always going to be this struggle. There's always going to be loneliness. There's always going to be poverty. What's the point to anything? It's all, mean. But I'm going to die, and I'm going to be forgotten. It's easy to connect with that message. We don't struggle to believe that. So then, how is Jesus the hero? You know, it's interesting, Ecclesiastes is one of the Old Testament books that is never really quoted in the New Testament. Um the closest we have is Romans 8. If you, want, if you have your Bible, want to turn to Romans 8. Um, he talks about uh, Romans 8, starting in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be re- re- revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation was subjected to futility. The creation was subjected to meaninglessness to Hevel, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All of creation has been subjected to this futility, this meaninglessness that we feel, and what's the answer to it? Where do we go he says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly. We feel the futility. We feel the meaninglessness as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And what is our present hope of salvation? Let's get to the end of the passage. Verse 31 What then shall we say to these things? What do we say to all this? What do we say to all the futility and meaningless? What does Paul come along after Jesus Christ has died and rose again? What does he say to the futility and to the meaningless? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We've been subjected to futility and meaninglessness, but in Christ, God has given us all things and filled them all with meaning. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? God. We struggle, we wrestle to find hope in the meaninglessness of life, and when it feels meaningless, meaningless, the Apostle Paul comes along and says, but who's going to separate you from the love of God? In the middle of this futility, in the middle of suffering, what what does he say? Um, Tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword, what? Of all those things, of all the futility that exists in the world, what's going to separate you from the love of God? Nothing. And so like Johnny D. McMillan, we can say, you know what? If, if, if we go tomorrow, we can go with a smile on our face. I talked to my son about this yesterday. It, we, can, we can say like what Kendrick Lamar tells the black community. Um, if God's got us, then we're going to be all Right? Right? If God's like, like, I'm messed up, you're messed up, but if God's got us, we're going to be all right. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. What's going to separate you? Like, this world is subject to futility, and it groans inwardly. But if God's got us, who's going to separate you from the love of God? We're going to continue through Ecclesiastes and lean into some of this futility and talk more about where we feel this futility in our own lives. And we're going to go through um, money and power and status and vocation and all of these different things that we try to grasp onto for meaning. And it's, it's smoke. I grab it and it's gone. <clears throat> and part of what we get Um, to remind ourselves of the hope that we have is something that is physical and tangible that you can put your hands it's easy to think of religion as this purely spiritual endeavor and so God says I want you when you come together to take some bread take some wine and and remind yourself who will separate you who will separate you from the love of God this love that has been purchased by the blood of Christ, that you are united to Christ. You take the bread, you dip it in the cup, and what are you reminded of? Who's going to separate me? This life feels meaningless and futile, and the rules don't work like they're supposed to, and, and it's, not, it's not working out the way I want it to, and I did everything, and I deserve this, and the world is unjust. Who's going to separate you from the love of God? Let's pray, and we'll take communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for for your word, for Ecclesiastes, for the opportunity to um, be honest about um, how meaningless life feels sometimes, Um, to be honest about um, just the futility that we experience, Um, to express that groan, not just inwardly, but actually groan outwardly and say, um, "This, this just doesn't seem fair sometimes. Um, God, I pray that we wouldn't be dismissive of those feelings, uh, but we would allow those feelings to remind us of the hope that we have. Um, That if you didn't spare your son, um, then we can be confident that you will give us all things. Um, And not just give us all things, but that our lives will actually have meaning, that we don't have to be in control. We can trust in you um, and allow you to fill out that meaning on our behalf. Um, we have the hope that you are at work conforming us uh, to your image. and We pray that as we take the bread, dip it in the cup, we'd be reminded of the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.